Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Five weeks into the Elizabeth Holmes trial, we heard extensively from Dr. Adam Rosendorf, and Steve Bird also took the stand, a former CEO of Safeway Grocery Stores. Another juror is excused from serving. And what are we learning about the power dynamic between Elizabeth Holmes and her former business and romantic partner, Sonny Balwani? But first, was Lance Wade badgering the witness? Reporters describe Wade's cross-examination of Dr. Rosendorf as grilling and tense and that Holmes attorney Lance Wade and Dr. Rosendorf were getting on each other's nerves. Is this a technique on behalf of Wade, or was Rosendorf just having a hard time answering the questions? I think that's a little bit of both, but that's the defense attorney absolutely doing his job, again, which is to poke holes in Rosendorf's testimony so the jurors will not give it the weight, the credibility, the belief that the prosecution wants them to. You know, this is like a tennis match going back and forth. And Mr. Wade is doing a very good job of getting under Rosendorf's skin. If if reporters are printing those words in relation to how Wade is going after Rosendorf and Judge Davila is not stopping it, the prosecution is not objecting and the judge saying, you know, sustained, uh, then Wade is doing what he is required to do, which is to fully advocate for his client. Text messages show that Sonny Balwani, Sonny Balwani, who was Elizabeth Holmes' business partner at Theranos and at the time her romantic partner, They've moved to have their trials carried out separately because Elizabeth Holmes is planning on, in part at least, blaming Sonny for the failure of the company, including that he was emotionally abusing and controlling Elizabeth Holmes. But as one text revealed, Sonny was suggesting that Holmes pull back a bit on the media blitzing and the PR. Sonny said the company needed more, quote, solid substance first. Elizabeth Holmes responded that all the media was helping them get more deals. And of course, she was right. More media, more attention, more deals. Sunny also told Holmes that she needed to stop making the claims that all the tests were done with their signature drop of blood. They were frequently using the old needle draw method for testing. How many text messages to this effect Sunny Balwani saying, you know, pull back, uh, slow down. How many of these kinds of messages are necessary or sufficient to make this point that Sonny Balwani was not the one moving forward and going full speed ahead? 
Um, is one text message to that effect enough? Or would there need to be a lot of evidence to suggest this? Like so many things in the law, it depends. And in this case, it depends on the jury. It depends on the other amounts of evidence and what it is ultimately that you're trying to prove and weave together through this bit of evidence of Sonny Balwani saying, hey, stop saying that we're doing it all with the one drop because what's relevant there, did Elizabeth Holmes know that they were using the blood draw at that point? So other testimony, other evidence, be it direct evidence, testimony of witnesses, it depends on what they have that leads us to that point. So just one text message alone might be sufficient, but even still, it depends on the jury and how they're interpreting this. They're the judge of the facts and what they mean. And that's where, you know, the more evidence you have to support an assertion, the better. Um, Sometimes you only have one text message. It might be sufficient. I would have to say, though, with how big this trial is, I don't know that that's enough. It might need more than that. There was one text message from Sonny Balwani to Elizabeth Holmes uh, during the period where they were working on a deal with the Cleveland Clinic, which was going to be a very important step for Theranos in validating the accuracy and efficacy of their testing. So, of course, that deal fell apart like most things at Theranos. But before it fell apart, Sonny texted Holmes, quote, reminder need Cleveland deal done. So that's a very to-the-point, matter-of-fact, clear text message from Sonny asserting that they need to get this thing wrapped up as soon as possible. One way to interpret a message like that. So as Elizabeth Holmes is in the beginning, again, let's go back to the beginning of this trial when she is meeting with her attorneys to... Did her attorneys... Is it possible that they would read a text message like that, like, reminder, need Cleveland deal, done, and or hear information from Elizabeth Holmes and say then to her, suggest to her, wow, sounds like he's pretty demanding and controlling, even abusive here. And is it possible that Elizabeth Holmes could... Either, of course, in that case, agree and say, yes, that's absolutely true. That That's exactly what went on. Or if she were to say, well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I wouldn't actually go so far as to say abusive. Is there some kind of authority that attorneys have where they could step in and say, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, This is abuse, and you're in, of no mind to determine that. And it's abuse, and therefore we're using this in our defense. Well, there was a lot in that. Let's start with this. That text message is good for Elizabeth Holmes on many levels. Uh, it, it can be used to justify, hey, look, I'm looking out for the investors. How could I be defrauding them when I'm doing everything I can to save them by getting deals done? That's what investors need. Cleveland Clinic getting a deal done that's good for patients. Uh, how could I be defrauding patients? if I'm working so hard to get the Cleveland Clinic in part of this. This is, this is a, a, a very good text message for the defense. 
Now, to the point that you were asking of what does the attorney do? It, it again, really, really depends in this circumstance and how this was approached. And But it does come down to this. The lawyer is responsible for legal strategy, the law itself, and how the defendant interacts with the court in terms of filings. Those types of things are the attorney's responsibility. Now, strategy can, can be you know, dictated by the client. And that's where you often will see a lawyer withdraws or a lawyer is fired by a client because they have a, they have a dispute over strategy. And the lawyer's like, no, 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 I totally disagree with you. I think that's wrong. And so they just come to an impasse and they part ways and, and the client finds another attorney. That, that is not abnormal. So in this circumstance, though, of regarding the abuse, it I don't know which one of the two brought it up, but it is quite possible that the defense attorneys were going through this information and asked Elizabeth Holmes, did you feel like you were being abused? Because some of this information sure looks like you were being abused. What does your therapist think of this? What do you think of this? That's a valid question for an attorney to ask the client. And it's quite possible that her attorneys are who brought that up to her and said, you know what? If you were being abused, that is a great defense. I still don't think, and I've said this through a number of our episodes, I do not believe that the abuse defense is her stronger defense here. I just don't. And I don't think that that's going to win in court that, oh, Sonny Balwani was abusing me. I, I just don't see that happening. There were people who were in the inner circle at Theranos. Their experience was that Sunny Balwani was submissive to her, at least in public, and that Elizabeth Holmes was the one in control of the company. So what is going to be the best way for the prosecution to prove that there was something drastically different going on behind the scenes? Uh, there may have been witnesses he allegedly threw objects at her. Maybe there were witnesses present who could potentially testify. But if there were no witnesses, how concrete does it need to be to be considered abuse? First of all, that text or the, that testimony that people thought that she was in control in public is already good for the prosecution. So it's the defense that's worried that people are testifying that she was in control of the company. So the defense, if they're going to want to say, no, 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 this was all Sonny Balwani's doing, they're going to need to show the abuse. Now, that is a fact-dependent analysis, meaning the more facts, it, you're, you're not going to have that smoking gun, this proverbial smoking gun that you're talking about of a text message saying, I'm so afraid of you, stop abusing me. Very, very rare. So it's, it's, an, it's an inferred analysis of circumstances and pieces of evidence that lead to the conclusion that she was abused. That's what the defense, when they're presenting their case in chief, are going to want to do. They'll pull out pieces of evidence, pieces of testimony to make that assertion. Again, if that is actually going to be their defense is that, look, she didn't do this. She was abused. She couldn't, you know, she couldn't function without Sonny Balwani. Uh, he was controlling her. I don't know that that's going to be very strong. But 
but to back to your question, it's not a smoking gun. It is a series of events. It's a series of, of things that lead you to the place where you might think as a juror, hmm, yeah, she was abused. And therefore, it affected her ability to think on her own. When it comes down to something like hearsay in the court, what is hearsay? How does it work? Oh, hearsay is one of the most thorny and complicated and vexing areas of the law for every law student about to take the bar exam because most of the world has gotten rid of hearsay in evidence, uh, but the federal rules of evidence define hearsay as a statement other than one made by the declarant while testifying at the current trial or hearing offered into evidence to prove the truth of the matter asserted. An out-of-court statement offered into evidence to prove the truth of the matter asserted. That is god-awful. How do you make sense of that statement? It really has to do with something that was said before, but it's not always the case. There's like hearsay exceptions and non-hearsay. It's really, 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 really complicated. You have a witness who's called to the stand saying that somebody else said something and the witness is offering it as substantive proof in court. Often, you know, an example that is that is used of hearsay is I'm a witness. I'm saying that so-and-so said that the right light had turned red, but it's not my memory. It's not my perception. It's somebody else said that, that the light had turned red. And so that's hearsay. If it's me, I saw the light turn red. I can be cross-examined on it. That's one of the key things about hearsay is I have to be able to be cross-examined because if I heard somebody else say, oh, the light turned red, well, then I need that person to testify about what they saw about the red light. Hearsay is, is just one of these extremely complicated rules that is used in the U.S. courts, and it's, um, I'm sure it will come into play to some degree in this trial as well. I'm sure the prosecution isn't doing this for Sonny Balwani's benefit, but some of the evidence so far has shown him to be at least the more responsible one of the two of them. Can Sonny's team use any of this in their arguments for Sonny during his trial in January? Yes. And they're, of course, paying attention to every single statement. They're getting transcripts. They're look, reviewing all of the evidence that's happening in this trial. That's why they asked Judge Davila to reserve seats for their team because Sonny Balwani's defense attorneys are going to use every single bit of evidence from the, again, testimony, physical evidence, whatever is happening, statements that the prosecutors are making, these will be used by Sonny Balwani's team if it is to Sonny Balwani's benefit when his trial comes up. Is there a better outcome for Sonny Balwani in this trial of Elizabeth Holmes? Yes. If Elizabeth Holmes is found not guilty on all charges, 
it will be very hard to find that Sonny Balwani would be guilty of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud absent him making just unbelievable statements that we have not heard about yet that would be above and beyond what Elizabeth Holmes did. Because if she was found not guilty on all of these charges, it it is very difficult for me to see a scenario where he would be found guilty on these same charges. So his his best bet is that she's completely not guilty. While cross-examining Dr. Adam Rosendorf, Lance Wade, Elizabeth Holmes' attorney, pointed out that Rosendorf was part of a whistleblower suit where he stood to gain monetarily, but legally, completely legally. So can the defense even make an issue of this? And wouldn't the prosecution object? And I didn't read or hear any reports of the prosecution objecting to this, but can they make an issue of this? The idea of impeaching the witness, meaning making the jury question the credibility of the witness, is very important for the defense. Often, when there's a financial incentive, the opposing counsel will use that to impeach, meaning... Look, you're not just here testifying out of goodwill or because it's the right thing. Or how do we know that you're telling the truth when you maybe have millions of dollars riding on this? I'm going to use that to make the jury question how much they should believe you because you stand to make money off of the case. And I I think that's probably what happened here. Again, we, we lack some of the documentary evidence from the trials at this point to know exactly how Mr. Wade brought this up and if the prosecution objected and Judge Davila overruled them. But look, anytime the defense, the prosecution is going to do the same thing with defense witnesses, by the way, and that is they try and make it that the witness becomes less believable in the eyes of the jury so the jury doesn't believe them as much but believes their side's witnesses and evidence more. The Wall Street Journal reached out to Dr. Rosendorf's attorney for comment, and the attorney did not comment. Why would an attorney not comment in this situation to the Wall Street Journal? (sighs) I mean, attorneys are not necessarily experts at the media, and they're not necessarily PR people. Look, there is a time and a place for saying no comment. There is. If you're trying to tamp something down, make it go away, hope it'll just disappear, no comment can be a very powerful response to a media inquiry. And sometimes that is the right move. In the case of Mr. Rosendorf's attorney, was his no comment the right answer? I don't know if that's the case, but often you want to make sure to give the media something that is good for your client while somehow diverting attention away from what the issue might be, but you give the media enough so it doesn't become a bigger issue. I think this one's small enough that maybe no comment was the right answer, but there, it, sometimes no comment can blow up. 
and you have to be very careful and have to judge the situation to know what is the best way. So I, again, his, his answer of no comment might've been the right answer, but it can be, that's a dangerous game to play because then you let the media run with whatever narrative they want to run with. And if they have it in for you, you're really going to lose. Last week, we saw photos of Dr. Rosendorf flipping through his phone, holding a cup of coffee, but there have been almost no photos or videos of Elizabeth Holmes. And I also understand if that I haven't seen any photo or videos of like Erica Chung or Surka Ganga Kedkar, and they're private citizens and their identities should be protected. But we all know who Elizabeth Holmes is. She's a public figure and we recognize her. So is it possible that her team has somehow blocked their from being photo and video of her regularly coming and going from the courthouse every day? Well, I don't know that they've blocked that. That's pretty much impossible because if she's walking on a public sidewalk, which the sidewalk in front of the federal courthouse is, and I'm a photographer, I can take a picture of her. So what I think is probably more likely happening here is twofold. One, her team likely worked out a deal with the with Judge Davila that they have go through a back entrance, for example. So it's not they're not getting caught up in a media throng. You've seen that before. Well, or maybe you haven't seen that before, where suspects or people who are on trial don't get walked through the media phalanx, you know, and their attorney trying to push their way through for them. That can be very disruptive and can affect people's mental state. And again, judges often don't want things like the media to mess up what's going on in the courtroom. So if Elizabeth Holmes' team spoke with the judge and asked for this ability to come in through a different door or at a different time or something else to avoid the media so their client doesn't get rattled by the media, which actually is kind of funny when you think about how much Elizabeth Holmes loved the media before Theranos blew up. But if if that's what her team was able to pull off, that's why we're not seeing so many pictures. When it comes to fraud, so much of it comes down to intent. Does it come down to what she knew or what she believed? It seems really hard to try to prove what someone believes. But we know that she knew there were problems. Is she off the hook if she indicates even one time, if it can be proven that it even at any time she says to investors, we're not 100% there yet, we have something to hammer out here, we're almost there, any kind of indication that there is still work to be done, is that proof enough that she was not intending to deceive her investors? That would be very strong if we have statements from her on the record in writing um, and or witness testimony that she had hedged. 
That's the whole reason why people use hedge words like that or weasel words as they're sometimes called dysphemistically by people. Weasel words are really, really important. If you say we're doing the best that we can, we have these tests on the way where we fully intend for them to be there. Those would be very strong statements in defense of Elizabeth Holmes. And I think it's really important to dive into this a little bit deeper. The Ninth Circuit, which is uh, we have the circuit courts of the United States and the Ninth is where the state of California is and where this district court resides within the Ninth Circuit, the Northern District of California. The Ninth Circuit has a manual of model jury instructions, in this case, criminal One of those charges against Elizabeth Holmes is wire fraud. That's Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Section 1343. And the Ninth Circuit, I'm not going to read the whole jury instruction, but the relevant sections here, just for your knowledge. When you're on the jury, you're going to be read this. For the defendant to be found guilty of that charge, the government must prove each, each of the following elements beyond a reasonable doubt. First, the defendant knowingly And then there are a bunch of words here. could be things like participated in, devised, intended to devise, a scheme or plan to defraud or a scheme or plan for obtaining money or property by means of false or fraudulent pretenses, representations, or promises or omitted facts. And the omitted facts things has a whole long section of fiduciary responsibility. But the second element, the statements were, were material and had a tendency to influence persons. But third, this is the intent one. Third element, the defendant acted with the intent to defraud. That is the intent to deceive and cheat. So listen to that again. This is what the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, each and every one of these elements. But the third element is the intent one. The defendant acted with the intent to defraud. That is the intent to deceive and cheat. So if Elizabeth Holmes was still fighting to make this thing work. Was she cheating? I mean, that's what the defense is. They're going to beat this element up beyond a reasonable doubt. She intended to deceive and cheat. In determining whether a scheme to defraud exists, you may consider not only the defendant's words and statements, but also the circumstances in which they are used as a whole. So another thing that media, meaning television, movies, has really misled the public on regarding the law, circumstantial evidence is not a meaningless set of evidence. Circumstantial evidence holds the same weight, legally speaking, in a court of law as direct evidence. Now, the jury is going to typically weigh that differently. But in terms of the law, circumstantial evidence is also important. Another note from the Ninth Circuit, by the way, in these jury instructions, back on the intent element. This is in the comment section. A defendant acts with the intent to deceive when he, quote, makes false statements or utilizes other forms of deception. A defendant acts with the intent to cheat one when she engages in a scheme or artifice to defraud or obtain money or property and and deprive a victim of money or property, thereby cheating someone out of something valuable. Lance Wade, Elizabeth Holmes, defense attorney, really 
laid into Dr. Adam Rosendorf and in some ways seemed to kind of discredit him. But he wasn't the only witness saying the things that he said. You had Erica Chung, possibly Tyler Schultz will testify at some point, the grandson of George Schultz. Also, there was Surdka Ganga Kedkar. She was saying the same things that Dr. Rosendorf was saying, but not to the full extent because she had immunity. Is it possible that the defense can use her immunity in their argument suggesting, oh, she had immunity, so we couldn't get all the testimony we wanted to discredit her the way that we did Rosendorf. However, had she not had immunity, we would have been able to skewer her like we did Rosendorf. No, they're not going to go there. And uh, at least that that's generally not acceptable to bring up the fact that she had immunity and that's why she didn't answer something. I also am suspicious of whether or not she didn't answer things because of immunity. It's typically just the opposite. I'll talk more because I have immunity. And that's why you were given immunity is to talk more. So I, I don't believe that that would be the case. And often immunity is not able to be used as an impeachment mechanism unless it's being used because they contradicted themselves in an earlier transactional immunity circumstance, for example, in front of a grand jury. about this lawsuit with Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, you often read that back in 2018, Elizabeth Holmes settled with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Can you explain to us how that suit is so different from this suit? How are they separate? And is there another entity that can pop up and sue her again, like the DOJ, or where does it end? Well, the settlement with the SEC was very specific to what area of jurisdiction the Securities and Exchange Commission has. And if I recall correctly from when I read the settlement a while ago now, it was it, they didn't admit wrongdoing. So when if you didn't admit wrongdoing, there's very little from the SEC settlement that I would be able to use in this current criminal trial. So these are very different charges, different jurisdiction. There's no double jeopardy here because she also was not individually named in the SEC settlement, if I recall correctly. And so that was very specific to Theranos and how they behaved in terms of raising money and the area of law that the SEC has jurisdiction. So to your question, though, could there be other charges from other groups? Well, this is the DOJ, essentially, that is charging her now. The AUSA is part of the Department of Justice in uh, the Northern District. Now, would they find other charges in the future? As long as it's not the same nexus of facts is, is the term, because the court will say you had your opportunity to bring all of your charges at that point. Would uh, the SEC settlement preclude individual investors, most likely, for going after Theranos? Would that preclude them from going after Elizabeth Holmes specifically? Well, that would typically be a waste of everybody's time because it's a corporation and there's a shield, what's called the, the corporate shield, that would protect her from being individually liable unless they could find that she committed an individual tort that violated her, her specific responsibilities. I guess the, the short summary of your question is, I would not expect to see further charges against Elizabeth Holmes or Theranos after these trials conclude. 
was a recent decision in court that banks are essentially allowed to lie and be unsavory in their business dealings all they want. So how does this relate to Elizabeth Holmes? If you are her attorney right now, are you glad to hear this? Yeah, this case that you're talking about is is really shocking. And it's shocking a lot of people in the legal community right now because what the Ninth Circuit just ruled the other day is that bank employees can lie about the bank's finances, keep their job, can be fired if they're caught, but they're not guilty of a crime like bank fraud if the bank itself hasn't lost any property is what the Ninth Circuit ruled just the other day. They overturned convictions of two former bank executives. They, they committed fraud. They lied. And the Ninth Circuit said, yeah, but, you know, the bank didn't actually lose money because of it. If that is able to be related to the Elizabeth Holmes case, whoa. And, and by the way, just think about that for a second. Bank executives can lie. And as long as it didn't negatively, directly, negatively impact the bank's finances for the investors then the, they could lie all they wanted? That's basically what the court ruled. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. They had already served some prison time by the time the appeals court just overheard this and overruled it. While the executives in that case were found to have deprived the bank and others of accurate information, it does not amount to fraud by itself. If I'm Elizabeth Holmes' attorneys, this case matters. It's in the correct jurisdiction. It's in the Ninth Circuit. If this ruling gets published, Ninth Circuit published rulings are binding on the lower courts. Judge Davila is bound by Ninth Circuit decisions. Now, the argument, of course, by the prosecution is that case doesn't apply here. This is not a bank. Um, this was not nominal lies that that didn't affect the bottom line. Their lies directly affected the bottom line. There are a lot of arguments here that would say that that case does not apply here. But my gosh, this is a big deal that the Ninth Circuit ruled that way. We'll see what happens from here. But if again, if I'm Elizabeth Holmes' attorneys, I'm looking at that going, Ooh-wee. if she's found guilty, I'm appealing because I'm going to say, if that's the case in the bank's case, why would it be any different here? Thank you for listening to Law Junkie Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and visit us at lawjunkieshow.com. You can send us a message there on the contact form or at info at lawjunkieshow.com. And on YouTube, you can send us a voice message. We love your questions, comments, and ideas for upcoming shows. Disclaimer, Law Junkie Show, including its guests and hosts, are not giving out legal advice, but discussing general legal issues. Law Junkie Show does not guarantee that the legal issues discussed are fully accurate, and it's not specific to whatever legal issues you may be experiencing. None of this advice is to be acted upon in your situation. Please seek legal advice from a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction for your individual legal matter.